Welcome to the EchoCast, a podcast about video game news, speculation, reviews, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I am your host, Vaughn, and this week we'll be chatting about Redfall's terrible release, Phil Spencer's X-Cast interview, Star Wars Survivor Final Thoughts, the weekly topic of whether or not Starfield will be reviewed fairly, and much more. A few things before we get started, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like this video if you do, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or just to say hello. A big thank you to supporter level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel or look down in the description for an easy link tree link to find all the ways you can support me and my content. Gaming news. This week we have 10 topics. Story number one, Redfall release and reviews. So if you pay any attention to, um, you know, gaming news and stuff like that on a day-to-day basis, you couldn't have escaped this story this week. On Monday, Redfall officially released, um, actually released where I live at about eight o'clock that night. I remember at about nine o'clock that night, jumping on and playing for a little bit. Um, I actually planned on streaming it. Uh, but uh, I, I started to already see some of the first impressions of the game. So I actually fired up my OBS and I recorded uh, my first time starting the game up and commented over it. It's actually on my YouTube um, if you want to check that out. And my thoughts, I think, ended up being reflected through the week. Um, this game has a Metacritic score of 62, or at least when I made the notes for this show, it could have adjusted a little. I can't imagine it's going to go up or down much. I think 62 is unfortunately about where this game lands. Um, it's it's interesting. My issues with it is I only played the first couple hours and I'm good. I can normally tell relatively quickly if a game is my deal at all and this one it just i can like some bad games i'm i am not opposed to i um i I don't mind the idea of uh, playing games that aren't loved um, or that are even panned a little bit i am a huge the division fan and that is a game that has been very successful financially the second game had rave reviews um its post-launch was okay um and it's mostly been forgotten about by you know major outlets and, and journalists but it has its little cult following um I think it's a really, really good game and it has its faults and it's not perfect, but I really believe that it it has a lot of core mechanics. The division two and the division in general is fun to play. It's a nice world to be in. There's things to do that are somewhat interesting. Even just the AI you're playing against is pretty good and formidable, especially at higher levels. Um, Another Ubisoft franchise, Far Cry. No one's ever going to argue that Far Cry is game of the year. 
which is not going to happen. But you can still get a lot of joy from Far Cry. The last one I played relatively seriously was five. Um, and it has good gunplay. The enemies are maybe not the smartest, but they're fun to fight. It's silly. It's not a perfect game. It's it's good, right? But you can still get lost in it. It's still fun enough to play to just you'll get through the main story, maybe do a few extra things, maybe revisit with a few DLCs, not Far Cry 5. They were terrible, but you'll you, you, you don't you don't feel like your time is wasted. My issue with Far Cry or with Redfall is that to me, and this is my take because I've seen people with different opinions. I think the movement feels terrible. I feel like your character doesn't feel attached to the game. Like your character feels like they're just floating near things, but you don't feel like your character is like boots on the ground, interacting with the ground, these ledges, you know, if you, if you, if you vault onto something at even just a little angle, your character's animation is completely jacked up and it still doesn't feel like connected. The gunplay is just abysmal, at least on controller. I've seen some people praise the gunplay. Maybe they're on PC. Maybe it feels better with the clicky clickies on controller. It it has um. if you heard about Resident Evil 4's remake, which is a masterful game, but on Xbox had a bug where there was a dead zone issue. So um, it, this dead zone issue mostly comes out as an issue where if one of the sticks typically you know in this case it was the aiming stick the right stick on the xbox um say it has one inch of movement from from straight up to all the way over say that's one inch um a game will sometimes um it's not bad to have some dead zone like the first eighth of an inch if you just tap your stick it won't do anything um but but you want it to be fairly sensitive so you can make fine adjustments um, the, the, when there's a dead zone issue, it's where you have to move, like say in this example, you have to move the stick like a half, like 50% of the way down, maybe even further to get any feedback, to get any movement in the game. And that's what I experienced with Redfall. Um, I even showed it on stream that I showed, I, I said, okay, right now, I'm not touching the stick at all. Now I'm starting to lean it and I was very slowly leaned it over and then when it finally moved, I said, I stopped. I said, okay, it's about halfway over. And so what that translates to for gunplay is it just feels really unresponsive. And the biggest issue is that it's not like it just barely starts to move when you have it all the way over. It reacts as if you have it all the way over. So you get these real jerky aiming situations. And in a game like that, where you have fast moving enemies and things like that, it just if it just felt really bad to shoot and then you ads and it has a completely different sensitivity when you're ads when you're aiming down sight um, that typically has a setting um, like some games like battlefield 2042 and it's actually typically competitive games have a setting where you can make the movement speed on the aiming the same whether you're ads or not where you can slightly adjust it well, in this game, it's it's much slower when you're ADS, but it still has the dead zone issue. And so it just it just doesn't feel good. The weapons, there's not very many from what I saw and from what I've heard other reviewers say. And it's just and then it culminates in that 
the world just feels empty. It looks okay. I hate the stylized humans uh, or, or characters. They tried to do this kind of semi-cartoony look, and it looks fine until you look at their hands. All of their hands are like like Gears of War. I'm, I've been I've been playing Gears of War five recently for the first time. They have their hands are hilariously oversized in that game, like three times bigger than they should be because they're supposed to be these like genetically modified like brutes. Right. And so it kind of makes sense for them. But the people in Redfall have hands that are like five times too big and it's off putting the like the vampires are like that, that you fight because they're they're like morphed. They're supposed to look weird, but the regular people do, too. And it's just it just doesn't look great. All of the it just it doesn't look good. All of the cutscenes are these weird, like stop motion animation things because you can tell they just ran out of time and money to do real CGI cutscenes um, because they did CGI trailers for the game, but they didn't do any CGI, at least from what I saw and what I've heard people talk about. Um, the AI is just awful. And, and what's worst is that um, so the AI is not fun to fight. So remember when I talked about the division Far Cry. Um, you know, in those games, the movement feels good. The gunplay feels good. Like the traversal feels good. The movement, um, the AI isn't great, but it's fun to fight against. Um, and, and it's Redfall is none of those things. So Redfall ends up being a game that like if it was fun to play, it just didn't have enough content. Like Halo Infinite is a good example of that. A game like The Division 2 is like that or was. I would argue it's not anymore. But if, if, the, if the core game felt great, then it feels like, okay, there's something here. This game doesn't feel like there's something here. It feels like there's nothing there. And the fact that I mean, we'll talk about an interview that Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox did, which we have a lot to talk about with that. Like I and I don't this isn't a dish on the arcane devs. I have no doubt in my mind that they did the best they could with this game. Um, I, I see a lot of times people talking about uh, lazy devs and people who are incompetent and stuff like that. That you, you, you aren't going to find people who are lazy or are completely incompetent in games that are that, that get released. It's probably just not going to happen. Um, any game releasing a bad game, making it to the market is a miracle. Um, it, it would be hard today to just tell a regular person, okay, make the most basic version of Pac-Man that you can and release it. And, you know, you could learn a lot of the basics, but but actually doing it and deploying it and it not being completely buggy and, and messed up like those things would all be really hard. And then what you're talking about is multiplying the complexity of that by a million, even in a game that isn't great like Redfall. And it's still a miracle that it releases, right? And that it's playable, even if it's not very fun. So like, I'm not deriding the devs. I'm sure they did their best, but the game, it just feels like it just feels kind of like at one point they were just like, I don't know, we don't have time. Just cut everything. It's not working and we'll just ship it and we'll just let's fix it up as much as we can over the next six months and then we'll move on to the next project. And and that's kind of what I hope they do. 
Guys, there's a season pass for Redfall. Like, why? They, they, they've talked about adding more characters to Redfall. And they've talked about this stuff in the lead up to the game coming out. When there would have been no mystery about where the game was. And so, like... I think they are going to fulfill the game, the, the battle pass for however many people actually play it. We'll see. I think the things that are buggy, they'll fix. But I think the main issue is that this game, its problem isn't bugs. Its problem isn't the 30 FPS, which honestly, I, th I thought I felt fine. I'm, I'm, I'm a big 60 FPS elitist now, um, at least. And I... It was, it was obviously not running at 60 FPS, but it felt fine. I didn't notice any issues with the frame rate. I thought it felt okay, because games can feel okay at 30 if they're done right, and I think it's okay. I just don't think that there's the bones to justify them spending two years and millions of dollars fixing this game up. I, I kind of question who was even asking for this game in the first place. I kind of question why this game didn't get canceled. We'll talk about this in the Phil Spencer, the next story. I just, Redfall is such a weird game and that I think it has an interesting premise and it just seems like, even though it's been in development, I guess for like six or seven years, pre-production and then you know actual production, um, I just don't, I don't know who saw this at, at any point in development and was like, yes, I just don't understand. And and then I've seen devs from Arcane who worked on this just being so bummed and, you know, yeah. And people attacking them, which is so stupid. It's no one person's fault that this game ended up like this. Not to mention the pressure that was on this game, which is now being shifted to another game, which we'll talk about. But like, you know, there. If Redfall would have released between Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite, people would have been like, oh, this kind of sucks, but oh, well, we have Halo coming. Um, but instead it released, you know, well, this is an issue I have. So there's this, all this chatter about, oh, this is the first big game since Halo Infinite they've released and it's bad. And so they're dismissing games like Pentiment and especially Hi-Fi Rush. Um, and it's interesting, the dismissal of Hi-Fi Rush in that conversation I've seen, because there seems to be a an opinion or a feeling that Hi-Fi Rush isn't a AAA game because it's only 30 bucks and, it, and it, it doesn't deserve to be in that conversation. And I find that very convenient, personally. I don't believe that. Um, now, I think it's a fair argument to say, oh my God, why didn't Hi-Fi Rush get the marketing campaign like Redfall did? And why didn't they shadow drop Redfall? Just kind of be like, oh yeah, here it is, guys. It's fine. And then they, why didn't they do like a big marketing push for Hi-Fi and blow that game out the water? Because it probably would have done way better than it did. Apparently it's, it's done okay sales-wise and stuff. And it's an excellent game. It's a nine out of 10 game, if not 10 out of 10 for some people. And so it's just Redfall, man. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. So I'm curious if you've played it, let me know what you think. If you liked it, cool. If you didn't, let me know as well. I'm curious on YouTube in the comments. Um, let me know what you think. I'm, I'm definitely curious.
Uh, story number two is about an interview that Phil Spencer gave on the kind of funny podcast called the X cast. It's their Xbox focused uh, podcast. Um, it has Snowbike Mike, who's one of their personalities, um, Paris Lilly, uh, who you've seen around. I'm sure if you're in the gaming news sphere, he's pretty prolific. And then Gary Witta, who um, is a contributor on kind of funny um, and he's actually a writer by trade uh, and he's off right now because they're striking that entire guild is striking um, but he wrote like Rogue One the Star Wars movie and stuff like that so uh, the book of Eli um, but he's a huge gamer he used to do a lot of PC uh, game reviewing and stuff back in like the 90s um, and then he moved into writing for films and stuff like that so interesting guy um, and it, it just so happened that um before the CMA blocked the Activision deal, before Redfall came out, they had already scheduled an interview with Phil Spencer, who's the head of Xbox. Uh, my assumption is that this interview was probably supposed to hype up the June showcase because it's about a month away. Uh, and well, you know, the timing worked out um, where the conversation was different that they had. Um, I give credit to Phil Spencer and their team for not trying to pull out um, Greg Miller, who's the head of Kind of Funny. And, you know, he kind of offhandedly mentioned, like, you know, when things have been rough for other people who were supposed to be on the show, they just didn't come on because and it was understandable. Uh, but they were commending Phil and the Xbox team for, you know, coming and, and, and chatting. And so they talked about a few things. So the first thing they talked about was the CMA blocking the Activision deal. Um, and what was interesting about it is it there really wasn't much to talk about. That whole thing has been talked about so much and it's been beaten into the ground so hard. And basically Phil Spencer's response was just like, yeah, we think that their assertion that the the streaming thing is the issue is silly. It's you know, they're 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 way ahead of themselves there. And so we're appealing it. That was actually a fairly simple answer. It was pretty no nonsense. And he was just basically like, yeah, we're going to appeal it. Um, we don't think that their finding is like good, <laughs> you know, um, and then they did jump into a conversation about Redfall and its reception and kind of where xbox is at in general with not having any huge releases in quite a while and things like that um on redfall um he spoke a lot about how um that was a game that was pretty far into development during their acquisition uh, a few years ago and that um that there's been a lot of talk about how xbox has been very hands-off with the companies they acquire and that's been a big talking point in like a positive way like um, you know, it, it is a little more common for like when Sony acquires a studio, they'll like change the studio's name and really dig in there and, and make them kind of do what they want them to do to become part of the team where Xbox's strategy has been to be kind of like, here's all the money you need, do what you do best. Um, and, you know, he uh, Phil during this interview kind of said, like, we didn't give this game enough love. Um, we didn't get hands on enough with it. Uh, and you can take that a few ways. There were a bunch of stories that came out, um, mostly from Jez Corden, who claims that uh, people had told them from inside of Microsoft that basically when the acquisition happened for Bethesda Zenimax, um, they saw Redfall and just didn't like it. And so they just basically didn't support it. They were just like, sure, like we aren't going to cancel that game. If you're passionate about it, if this is what you guys want to work on, fine. We aren't really into this, so we're going to kind of stay away. 
where it sounds like from Phil's uh, interview and from other sources that they have been really hands on with Starfield, um, including why they delayed it so long. And um, because it really seems like they think that Starfield should or is a really big deal for them. And Redfall was probably supposed to be kind of I mean, Redfall was supposed to come out last summer. And it is it is kind of wild to think that if the Redfall that came out this week is what it is, what in the world were they could they have released last summer? Like, it's like mind blowing. It's like, oh, my God, like what kind of shape was this game in a year ago? So I, I think um, his responses were interesting. Um, at one point, uh, so these big publishers do like internal reviews where they'll hire a consultant agency. Um, they'll let people from that agency play their game and then they'll like write a review. So you'll see a lot of people who are former writers at like IGN or, you know, these big publications will, will work for these consulting agencies and um, and they'll write reviews about games that are coming out so the company can kind of know where their game is going to land. And Phil Spencer claims that their internal reviewers were saying that this game was going to be a, a good 10 points higher in its meta score. So they were still only expecting like a low 70s game, but they were probably still expecting a 70s game. And there were people who reviewed this game in the sevens and eights. Um, not very many, but there were people who did it and some prominent ones. And, and it was that was interesting. And so I've seen a lot of reaction to that and that either Phil's not telling the truth about those internal reviews that yeah, yeah. I think he is. I suspect that they may just need to maybe diversify who they have doing those internal reviews, maybe a bit more. It seems like whoever they have doing it was maybe a little too kind to them um, because really there's no reason for them to be kind. Um, if anything, they should be extra critical because no one's ever going to see their reviews besides the people working on the game or in the publisher. So it's interesting. Um, Phil, his interview was interesting. I've seen a lot of people being like, oh, it's spin Phil like normal. And I don't believe I don't think that's true at all. He typically is a spin master. That's his job is to portray their brand in a good way. He was very um, grumpy and he wasn't grumpy to any of the interviewers. You could tell he was just kind of distraught. He was just kind of overwhelmed and, and, and probably tired. Um, and he was pretty honest about stuff. There was one point where uh, Paris Lilly said something like, you know, you guys had the 2022 Xbox showcase that promised all of these games within the next 12 months and you didn't necessarily meet that. And in the middle of that statement, Phil Spencer interrupted them and said, no, no, no. We did not necessarily meet it. We just didn't meet it. Like we failed in that because if if they fulfilled that um, Starfield would be out before the end of June, which it won't be. I think Forza was one of the games that was supposed to be out and we don't know. It's supposed to come before Starfield, um, which is in September, I believe now. Um, and so it could come in June, but will probably come in July or August. Um, and he was pretty blunt about that. I mean, he he they talked a whole bunch about and uh, and of course, a bunch of his words, that I think, have been very misconstrued. Um, he said something about the whole idea of like the Xbox One generation that they that they lost that generation. And in hindsight, um, that was a huge loss because they kind of didn't realize how much people would be building their digital library of games and how big of a deal it would be that you could carry that library to the next gen. Um, you, you have to remember that with 
you know, most game systems, when you move to the next gen, you're starting from scratch because for a long time, backwards compatibility wasn't a big thing. Um, and even when it was, it wasn't that popular, but now with digital games, it's just a click and it's it's a lot more popular. Now, I did think it was kind of interesting that the transition from PS4 to 5 and the, transi the transition from Xbox One to series, um, arguably the actual transition has been handled much better by Xbox. They did all that stuff with like the FPS boost um, and, and just their easy switch. Like, like on PlayStation, I'm under the impression that with a lot of games, you have to make sure you download the PS5 version. And, and it may even cost money to get that, even if you own the game before on PS4. Where on Xbox, there's none of that. You just, it's just, you, you play, you can play the old version, the Xbox One version on your series. And if they do a patch that brings it up to Series X or Series S fidelity, you just get it. It just happens. Um, and so it was interesting that he felt like they failed that generation, even though they technologically probably did things better, but they didn't have The Last of Us. They they didn't have The Last of Us 2. They didn't have God of War uh, and God of War Ragnarok. They didn't have, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon, you know, and so that's where he talks about where they failed. And, um, and an interesting one that he pointed out that I've seen people misconstruing as well was that he said uh, Starfield could be an 11 out of 10 game, a, a more than perfect game. And people aren't going to start trading in their PS5s to get Xboxes. And I've seen that construed as like, oh, well, they, they, they don't think they can win the console race. So they're just they don't care about games. That's not what that's not what I took it as. I took it as them being, as him saying, basically, it's not up to one game, which we'll talk about that whole topic. They they need to have like four games in a row come out that are AAA quality and are like eights and nines. And so like their current track for that would be something like Forza comes out, eight or a nine. Starfield comes out, eight or a nine. Hellblade Sinuous Saga comes out, eight or a nine. And then whether whatever comes next, whether it's Fable or State of the K3 or, or whatever game is avowed, maybe, you know, needs to be an eight or nine. And if they can string, you know, two, three, four games releases in a row that are eight nines out of tens, and they can do that within like nine to 12 months of each other, maybe six months if they're really good they can turn the whole narrative around and it will sell more consoles and it will sell more game pass subscriptions and it will you know it's not going to catch them up to xbox or to sony sony is probably already unreachable like like xbox can have a huge boost in sales and probably still won't catch ps5 now because they're just behind and, and ps5 just sells a lot of consoles and it's also that there's a lot of games on ps5 that at least for a year or two you can only play on ps5 where xbox is diving hard into pc you can play games there instead and you can have game pass there they're going into streaming hard even though it's not that big of a market yet they're putting their streaming on tvs uh there's a big talk about this rog ally that i spoke about recently this steam deck kind of handheld computer thing and it, and he had one in the background of his studio during this interview um there's rumors that they're going to try to make the xbox you know app and stuff work natively on this thing which on the steam steam deck you can kind of make it work but it's not very good yet it may never be and so you know they they aren't 
PlayStation is still in the game of selling consoles. Xbox knows they can't beat them at that. And and I've talked about this a lot. If you've been around the podcast or my streams for a while, I've talked a lot about how they're playing two different games. And I think Sony's is a little short-sighted because I think I think they're getting left behind in some tech in, in, in like the streaming tech and just Game Pass in general and stuff like that. But I don't think they care because so, Sony like like PlayStation has to do well or else Sony goes down. Sony makes cameras and TVs and, and all and, and phones and stuff, but they don't make much money off of those things. They make a load of money off of PlayStation. And that's why they need to sell consoles and hardware and tons of games where Xbox is kind of a pet project for Microsoft. Obviously, they want it to be successful. Obviously, they want it to make money and they would love for it to be bigger than PlayStation, but it's just not. And it probably never will be. Um, Phil mentioned during this interview being in third place and behind Nintendo and Sony, and he's not wrong. It doesn't mean they're doing bad. It just means that they're not doing as good as they are. Uh, and then the final, there was some optimism during the interview. He talked about how they really are confident about, you know, they've always wanted to get to this cadence of a big game every quarter. And he claims that's where they're at. He feels like that COVID impacts are, are slowing down enough um, that he talked about Forza. He talked about um, Starfield. He talked about Hellblade 2, which was interesting because there's lots of rumors that Hellblade could come at the end of this year, that Forza could come out this quarter, that Starfield comes out the following quarter, and then that they could have Hellblade in the final quarter of the year, which would be amazing. And I think we'll get clarification on that during the June showcase. You know, who knows? You know, Hellblade may not come until the first quarter of 2024, for all we know. But I just think that like that's what it's gonna take and, and i know everyone's so doom and gloom and doomer about xbox and, and i think there's a lot of um i think there's a lot of things around that which we'll talk about in the in the weekly topic but um i you know i really think that we get a little caught up in the day-to-day and you know like redfall was a really good example of Redfall isn't like a big giant AAA title for them. And and that is how it's been portrayed. And I understand why to a point. It's the first big release in a long time for them. Even though I don't think it really is. I don't think it's as big of a release as people have made it out to be. It's bad. Um, but you know, it's being portrayed like it's like you know, like a Halo type of game. And it's not. It's it's again, I definitely think it's more along the lines of Hi-Fi Rush. And, and I think it's interesting when people completely don't talk about Hi-Fi Rush or dismiss it as like a double A game or an indie game, basically, but then try to promote Redfall as this big thing, because I I don't think they're that far apart. And and when and when they do that, I find the conversation kind of hard to take seriously because it kind of seems like they're just looking for more ammunition to, to spend rather than be like, yeah, they released two games of a similar wait and hi-fi rush was amazing it started off the year great and redfall isn't very good um so it's it's definitely been an interesting um conversation to follow um i highly suggest you check out the phil spencer interview on the x cast if you look kind of look up kind of funny um and, and look up the x cast interview it was excellent it was very very good um it, and and i missed some stuff there's 
And and I really think seeing Phil in that environment and that mood was good because we're typically used to seeing him being pretty chipper, pretty, you know, optimistic, uh, gung ho, you know, he's the sales guy, right? And that was not the man that we, um, <laughs> that was on that podcast. So I suggest checking it out. It was extremely good. Uh, story number three, Star Wars Jedi Survivor Final Review. I'll make this fairly quick. Um, the rest of the stories will be relatively quick, but uh, I finished, I rolled credits on Sunday night. Uh, so, you know, I played it Friday through Sunday um, and I've still been playing it a little bit. There are some post game things you can do. Um, this game is so good. This is my current game of the year. I played Dead Space and it was amazing, um, but this does overtake that. Um, I, I tried Resident Evil 4 and I recognize the greatness, but I still think that this game goes beyond that. I think it's extremely good and, you know, it is still dealing with some performance issues and stuff like that. And it just doesn't matter to me. The, the characters, the story, it's the same thing I said, I think last week when I did kind of like a first impressions, it's just, it's so good. It overcomes its issues. Um, a, a big topic I actually spoke about during a stream today was about how Redfall and Survivor coming out within a few days of each other is such a good example of Survivor being a an insanely good video game that's hampered by performance issues, where Redfall is a bad game that's also hampered by performance issues. And the problem is, is that both of those games in the next weeks and months are going to fix their performance issues and Survivor is going to be a game of the year candidate and Redfall is still going to be bad. And that's kind of where I stand still. I mean, Survivor, like, man, the story, there's a moment about halfway through the game that is just one of my most favorite gaming moments I've ever had. It was so good. It was a interactive cutscene, basically, but you were actually controlling your character. It was just, and I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to say more than that, but like, it should have just been a cutscene, but instead you were playing it. And I died a bunch because it's hard. It was challenging. And it's just, it's just a great game. It, if you feel like it's a little slow at the beginning, which I don't think it is, but if you think it is, you gotta push through. It picks up, you get surprised, you, you get sad, you get happy. It's just very good. Um, there's some set pieces that are just, some of the best set pieces I've ever seen in a video game. Some of the big fights and boss battles and stuff are just, just amazing. So I still understand if people want to hold off until they know the thing has been patched up and fixed, totally fair, but you have to play this game. If you like Star Wars, if you like story games, if you like action games, if you like Souls games, you have to play this game. And I think that covers a lot of people. Hey, right, story number four, um, playing Gears of War 5 in 2023. So I've been, I'm kind of looking around for something new to play while we wait for Forza and, and Starfield. And I'm waiting for Diablo 4 big time. Um, and so I decided to fire up Gears of War 5 and play that for the first time. And man, that game is good. It came out, I think that came out in 2000, was it 19, I believe? Uh, it was kind of the last gasp of the last gen of consoles and it is just excellent it, it plays it has the gear style which i'm not a huge fan of but like it looks good it plays well it's just 
as I was playing it and watching like the opening cutscene, which was like in game, but it looked amazing. It made you realize that even four years ago, like Xbox knows how to put out the type, the type of games they need to put out. Like, you know, a like gear six is going to be huge for this generation one day when it comes out. It's, um, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by it. I'm only a few hours into it, so I won't give like a review of it. Maybe one, if I finish it, I will talk more about it. But um, more than anything, just with all this other conversation, um, it, it, for me, it was just such a slap in the face of like, oh yeah, they know how to make these kind of games. Like, like they can they can put these games out. They need this kind of game. Like they need this a bunch of it. Uh, and so I plan on playing through the story. And then apparently the Hive Busters DLC is like wildly good. Uh, I've I've heard a lot of people who didn't even like Five say they loved Hive Busters. So I'm hoping to experience both of them. And uh, and I will update you all as I go through that process. Okay, story number five in our weekly topic: Will Starfield be reviewed fairly? And so this story, um, this topic came to me during this week when it, it's been it's been a building story. It's been a thing that has been kind of, you know, nipping at my toes a little bit and I've been getting a little more and more annoyed. And this week when when Redfall came out and was bad, it came to a crux and, and I have to blow off some steam about it. Um, basically, you couldn't get away from this notion this week of, well, Redfall's not very good. I think Starfield's going to be bad or and the take of, well, Starfield better be perfect because all of the weight of Xbox's future is on its back. And that is so stupid, <laughs> it is so dumb, because it's not true. Starfield's not gonna be a 10 out of 10 game. And what I'm frustrated about is that I think even if it was, I think there's so many people and journalists and pundits and creators and stuff who have so heavily invested in uh, Starfield's got to be really good that I don't believe a lot of them will be willing to eat their words if it is really good. And we're going to see a, a significant deduction in score for this game, even if it's excellent. If, if it has a single bug, even one that isn't like a Bethesda bug, but is just a, a bug that games will have, especially like a Bethesda game. I think we're going to see that hyper focused on. I think we're going to see people really unwilling to give Starfield its flowers, even if it's excellent. And I think it's because especially over the last couple of years and even just the last couple of weeks and months, there's a lot of people who have gotten a lot of clicks and a lot of attention and a lot of attention in general because they've had spicy takes on Xbox and especially I, I, I looked it up to make sure it was a real phrase, but uh, it's um, like toxic concern or concern trolling where you would see these people who clearly like, you know, will be like, oh, I'm so worried about Starfield. But you know that if Starfield's bad, they're going to profit. And if Starfield's good, 
it may not be as good for them unless they sensationalize something and make it seem bad. And so I've seen so many people this week doing the whole like, oh, I sure am worried about Starfield. I think it's I think it's in real trouble after Redfall. And there's no reason to actually believe that. Like, there's no reason to think or say that. But what they're kind of doing is self-reporting and, and saying, oh, I sure hope it's terrible so I can make 50 videos about it and 20 podcasts about it and really rub it in. And I genuinely believe that even if it is a excellent game, you're still going to see you're, some of these people will will have their minds changed and will be willing to say like, yep, this is a great game. Awesome. Xbox did a good thing, but you're going to see a lot of these people and maybe even people that you respect and that seem like they wouldn't be this way. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be very reluctant to give Starfield a chance. I think that there's a lot of people who already know the score they're going to give it, whether it's a six or a seven or, or an eight or maybe a nine or a ten. Like maybe someone like me who is probably going to like Starfield no matter what it's like. You know, there, there is that bias as well, but I still think that a positive bias is better than a toxic one. Um, maybe you disagree. That's fine if you do. But I just I, I am I have a lot of bad juju or whatever about how I feel like Starfield is going to get treated because, you know, it, it, the same people who are beating on the drums right now about Oh man, Starfield has to be amazing. Starfield has to be perfect. If it's bad, then it's all over. As if like Xbox is going to shut down if Starfield's not good. Like it's not going to. It obviously would be bad for the brand. But like I said before, I guarantee that Phil Spencer would rather Starfield be an 8 or 9 out of 10 if they can get two or three more 8 or 9s after that. Um, rather than sell his soul for Starfield to be an 11 out of 10 and their next three games to be sevens. Because they, they need that consistency. They need that momentum back. And I just don't like games are hard to make. We've talked about this. And especially as ambitious as Bethesda typically is with their big titles, Fallout 4, Skyrim, Fallout 3. It's, you know, it's not going to be perfect and it's probably going to be pretty good. And I just, I just really, I'm really curious to see what happens when it comes out, because if it's bad, then let's call it bad. But if it's good, I really hope people are willing to say it's good. Story number six, David Gator tweets about Bioware story issues. So David Gator is a very um, talky Twitter personality who is a former Bioware writer who mostly worked on, I think exclusively worked on the Dragon Age series. And he basically put out this series of tweets talking about how Bioware began to resent the necessity for story in their games. And that's why we got games like Anthem that had pretty minimal story and why a game like Andromeda maybe didn't have the greatest story in the world. Um, I, I took some issue. So this guy um, has also been, I think I may have talked about him a while back when, or maybe it was during a stream, but he was like really boasting about how Dragon Age uh, has been like held back by Mass Effect or something and how Dragon Age is like a significantly bigger franchise than Mass Effect. And um, the, the sales numbers I can find like dispute that pretty heavily. So I think this dude's kind of a blowhard who's a little over defensive of his own product. Um, and, and there was a feeling in this tweet, uh, in this tweet storm of him kind of being like, 
Um, there was an article recently about this whole idea that story games are just not enough bang for their buck um, and that a lot of companies don't want to do them. But then we have a game come out like Survivor and, and you know these other story games that have come out, God of War, Ragnarok and stuff that aren't live service games that are just good story games that, that kind of dispute this idea. Um, it is worth con considering that David Gator hasn't been at Bioware since 2016. Uh, you know, so he's literally been gone for seven plus years. Um, he he was there before Anthem released. He was there before Andromeda released. Um, and so and it kind of seems like he's not entirely um, up to date on what those other how those other games were really doing anyways. Um, and you would hope that after Anthem and Andromeda, Bioware has made a change. EA has made a change. And from what we've seen, EA seems like they have made a change. Um, you know, I, I know it's it's fun to hate on EA, but it kind of seems like they have made some strides and be more willing to explore these story based games and, and not rely as much on paid DLC and stuff like that. So. I know a lot of people, there seems like there's a lot of like old school Bioware fans who really respect David and that's cool. I found him to be kind of a blowhard and I don't take him super seriously after some previous things I've seen him say, um, but I'm sure there's plenty of truth in, in his uh, tweet thread. And uh, if you want to go see the whole thing, then go check him out on Twitter. Story number seven. Uh, I'm going to change this story because this was going to be a story that was good for Bungie. I'm going to turn it around. Destiny 2 is upping the price of their season pass. And this shouldn't be a big deal, but it is, and here's why. Um, so as this is from me talking to people during my stream today and from reading articles about this situation, if I'm incorrect, please let me know, either in the YouTube comments or you can message me on Twitter or email me, whatever. So I guess previous seasons of Destiny have had, Destiny 2, have been a number of points or whatever credit you buy and, and you can just buy it straight up say I, I don't know the exact number say it's a thousand credits you can just buy a thousand credits well they're they're changing it they're raising it by 20 percent and so i i guess so uh, say it's it's 1200 credits now but they don't have a 1200 credit option and you have to buy i believe credits in 500 or thousand increments and so where this is rubbing people raw is that if you want the pass, you need 1200 credits. Well, you can buy a thousand credits, but you can't buy 200. So you have to buy 500 more. So then you have 1500 credits, you spend 1200 on the DLC, the season pass or whatever, and then you've got 300 sitting there. So this is a pretty common tactic in looter games and live service games in general. And what you'll find is that there are probably no items in any of the stores for 300 credits. They're probably 400 or 500. And so what they're doing is they are kind of trapping your money and making you want to spend more so you can use more of your credits. And there's probably ways to actually spend all your money and not be invested anymore, but they make it hard on purpose. And there's a lot of people who are really kind of dunking on this with Destiny 2 right now because Destiny 2 is a very popular game still. I doubt it's attracting a ton of new players, but it definitely is retaining a bunch of its loyal base. And there's a lot of people who think this is a move of them kind of taking advantage of their loyal players because they know their loyal people are going to buy this. They'll at least put up with it for a while and they'll buy this, they'll buy the extra credits. 
they'll use those extra credits on other stuff or get more extra credits so they can buy stuff they actually want and we we just um we we are seeing them maybe burn a little good will with their own community and it's kind of weird because you know they're on the precipice of of them kind of wrapping up the current saga whatever that means some people think it means destiny 3 some people means that they're going to do like a big reboot of 2 we'll have to wait and see but like it, it, it's a weird move and it's a pretty greedy move in my opinion and it was really weird seeing some extremely prominent streamers and, and content creators um I, i'm like someone someone who's normally very against these kind of um behaviors like jumped right out and defended it which i like whiplash i was like what <laughs> like you're you're always against this kind of bull crap but destiny 2 is their favorite game and i guess everyone can have their bias show it was really weird um so this seems like a bad move it seems like a lot of people are pissed off about it and um and good i'm glad they are that seems like the right move story number eight only 60 percent of hunt showdown players have killed another player and so this was an interesting stat hunt showdown is like a escape from tarkov ish type of game uh it's like a alternate history game where you and a partner go in to these uh, decrepit levels of all this like waste and stuff. And you basically try to find and kill. You, there's like a bounty out on these like monsters. The thing is that there's other pairs of players. And so you're fighting it's PVPVE, much like the Division Dark Zone and, and some other modes. And so what happens is you try to find clues to find these monsters, but everyone's doing it at the same time. And whoever kills the monster gets these huge rewards, but you have to get out of the map while all of these other players are also looking for you or for the monster or whatever. And uh, and this stat was just really interesting that 60, only 60% 60 have killed people. And mind you, this is a game that encourages and almost requires PVP. And so it was kind of interesting seeing the devs uh, talking about it and stuff like that. It's where I talk about games like Escape from Tarkov. You know, not everyone is the super sweaty PVP player that wants to go in and and you know and kill everyone. And then you get to games like The Division and stuff where you have this DZ mode, which a lot of people treat like a deathmatch area, but not everyone does. And there's a lot of people who just want to farm it and don't want to fight other people. And so um, I, I thought that stat was interesting because you would expect it to be higher. So very interesting little story, little peek behind the curtain of uh, Huncho down there. Story number nine, Hogwarts Legacy has sold 15 million copies and has grossed over a, a billion dollars. This was a fascinating game from the outside because if you read the reviews, if you watch the reviews on I never played it. I think Harry Potter's dorky. It's just not my thing. And that's fine. It's no judgment. It's just I didn't like the first book when my grandma bought it for me and I haven't gotten into it at all since then. But this game has been such an interesting one to follow because I think, you know, there's all the controversy with JK Rowling and stuff. And these insane sales are really interesting because part of it, and I think a majority of these sales are a bunch of people who just love Harry Potter and don't even know who JK Rowling, Rowling is. Like they know she wrote the books, but they don't know anything about her personal politics. They don't know anything about her behavior. They don't know anything about the things she said and they don't care. And they just aren't engaged in that world. 
And so I think the vast majority of these people who are in this are just Harry Potter fans who love Harry Potter and they put out a good game for Harry Potter. It is a bummer to know that at least a decent portion of these sales are like hate buys. People who bought this game just to push against the boycotts and stuff like that, quote unquote. And and that's that, that's like it just feels kind of yucky. And it's and I truly believe the vast majority of the people who bought this game just love Harry Potter. And that's super cool. And I'm really happy for the devs in the studio and the publisher who are all like have had this insanely successful game, the most successful game since Elden Ring. Um, but it does suck that there's that little stickiness on it, that there's just that little bit of ew on it. But you kind of have to get over that. Um, there were people who really got into this game simply to push back on quote unquote woke culture and everyone trying to push back on JK Rowling. That's, you know, is what it is. Um, but I am happy for the people who are happy about this, uh, as long as they aren't the poop heads. <laughs> um, but it's super impressive. Um, what's most interesting about it is that when I watched all these reviews and read reviews and, and saw gameplay, it, it just seems like an okay game. Like it doesn't actually seem like that great of a game. It seems like it has really good com uh, uh, combat. And it seems like the recreation of like the castle and school and stuff like that is pretty impressive. But the actual game just is, seems like it's okay. And so I think it's kind of interesting that um, I think that mostly the sales have been boosted by it just being Harry Potter, which is popular. And then unfortunately you have the yucky part, but good for them. I'm glad that hopefully those devs are eating lobster tonight. <laughs> Uh, story number 10 and the final story is game engine maker Unity lays off 600 employees and is going to and is going to close multiple studios. So if you haven't heard of Unity, you've almost certainly played games made on that engine. Um, it's the most common engine to be used by people who basically can't afford to pay for Unreal. Um, Unity is much cheaper, if not free, depending on how big your project is. Um, some uh, one game in particular that is very popular that's on Unity is um, Escape from Tarkov. And if you're a fan of that game, um, we've all seen the result. Um, Unity is a pretty janky engine, um, but it is good for smaller companies um, because it just gives them an option that isn't making their own engine, which is a whole different issue. Um, but this is a weird move because their statement about this layoff is so they can make more profit. And so obviously no one likes to hear a story of people losing their jobs and their livelihood so that a corporation can make more money. And that's what's happening here. And so um, this is just kind of a bummer. Unity's done a bunch of weird stuff lately. Their um, the, Their ownership seems extremely eccentric and kind of edgy and, and is always kind of trying to push the boundaries of stuff and you know they do have to look out for their company and, and i am hoping that's what this is that this profit isn't just greed uh, which it unfortunately probably is but that it really is to try to keep their company alive as great as unreal engine is it is good for it to have competition um it, I think it's unfortunate that the competition isn't better and doesn't behave better. Um, but, you know, you're also talking about like Tim Sweeney and um, in Epic and uh, who may, who owns and runs and does the whole Unreal Engine thing. So um, it's a bummer. I hope those people land on their feet uh, and, and you hate to see that. Uh, another closing was the Pixel Plus or something with Sony um, got announced before I could update the notes that they're shutting their studio down too. 
which is weird. Um, PlayStation shutting down a first party studio is odd. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that they at least make efforts to relocate people and get them jobs in other studios. But uh, you would just think that the way things have been going for Sony, they wouldn't be laying anyone off. But well, what do I know? Obviously nothing. And that's all the stories for this week. So let's hit listener questions. If you have your own question, be sure to ask in the Discord, in the YouTube comments of this show, or hit me up on Twitter at Bondiesel or at the EchoCast. Questions, topics for next week, responses to stories I've talked about today. Hit me with any of them. I'll comment. Uh, this is a solo podcast. This is just me talking. And so the, the only interaction I have with someone else is you. And I want that. It's really exciting for me. Even if you just want to send me a nasty gram or tell me good job on the podcast, I'll, I'll take that too. So hit me up somehow. I would love to hear from you. This week, we have questions from two different people. One is Neuronix, uh, a lovely Patreon uh, member. Uh, is it too early to talk about EA Sports College Football coming out next year in 2024? It is not. Um, it's interesting. I've actually heard some uh, info about this game. Um, Jeff Grubb, who's pretty tight with EA. He, his EA info typically is really, really good. And it's from what he's talked about recently is that they're, they're making a like extremely concerted effort to not just make this a Madden clone that they genuinely want to make it feel like its own game, which it always did. in in most ways um, I've joked uh, kind of about how NCAA college football 2006 is one of the best like RPGs I've ever played. And it was because they introduced all these recruiting systems and uh, it was just really cool. And they went further and further with it as the years went on. But there was just something about 2006 that was unique. So um, it's not too early to talk about it because I'm excited for it. I don't even watch college football anymore. I haven't watched it in years. I used to love it. But even then, I'm still like, I could care less about Madden. Um, I've tried, try to play it every year and I just always fall off. But college football, I'm here for it. And then Master Prime has a few questions. Um, the first one is, is EA really changing? It's, it's hard to say they aren't, right? Like even just this year, like last year they had, or I guess it was two years ago in 2021, they had the game of the year at the Game Awards with um, It Takes Two. Um, you know, they, they've released the, the Dead Space remake, which is impeccable, is so good. They've had Jedi Survivor now. They had Jedi Fallen Order before that a few years ago. You know, that, that seems like they're supporting, you know, the new Dragon Age game. They're supporting, you know, more single player stuff from Respawn. That, that sounds like there's a, a strategy in a first person shooter Star Wars game. Um, you know, it seems like they're letting their studios feast. They're letting Bioware make another Mass Effect game that we've been hearing a decent amount about. Um, they're still the money grubbing, you know, sports yucky stuff going on with the ultimate team and all that. But it does seem like they're allowing the success from that to support projects that probably won't make them as much money. And that's exciting. And I'm glad that their whole stance years ago of not caring about single player games and stuff like that. It, I'm glad that seems like it's softened. I hope I hope that's permanent. Um, I hope that it stays that way long enough to get another Mass Effect. Um, so, yeah, I think they have changed. I'll always be worried about how permanent that change is. The second question is, are people exaggerating the Xbox situation? And if you, you know, from the previous, yes, I think they obviously are. I, 
I, I think that um, Starfield is important and I think it is a big deal. But I think even if Starfield's a six out of 10, they, 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 and it's the next game up is another chance for them to, to step it up, whether Tellblade or uh, Avowed or uh, Fable or Perfect Dark or State of the K3 or whatever games are coming. Um, I, I think it's overstated pretty bad because I don't think, I think Xbox could flounder badly and they would still be around. Uh, I, I think Microsoft likes that engagement. I think Microsoft likes getting their name into people's homes, get, getting people signed onto their networks. Um, I think it's exaggerated pretty bad. And I think most people are exaggerating it on purpose and knowing and they know they're doing it um, because they know that it's just it's clicks, man, especially if you mean people as in like pundits and people speaking, um, obviously not including me, but um, I, I think people just know what can get them more attention. And um, right now it's dunking on Xbox. So we'll see. And then the final question, which uh, someone else in the Discord actually said they were curious about as well, is do you like Mountain Dew? So here's the thing. I love, with a capital L, O-V-E, love Mountain Dew. It's my favorite soda pop. It's my favorite, probably my favorite drink. But in, in, um, in was it November or December of 2020, I contracted this lovely virus known as COVID-19. I immediately lost all sense of taste and smell. And I don't mean like my, my taste and smell were dulled badly. Um, I didn't get that sick, um, but I did completely lose my sense of taste and smell for about 10 months. Um, the last two or three months, things kind of faded back in. But for some reason, every single pop or soda I've tried to drink since late 2020, there's a chemical in most sodas that just is permanently changed in my brain and I can't drink it. It tastes like dirt. It tastes awful. Unfortunately, Mountain Dew is one of them. And then it's like, like, like Coke, Pepsi, Sprite, all of that stuff tastes terrible. Oddly enough, cream soda and root beer taste fine. Can't explain that. And like energy drinks are fine. So like I drink Monster and stuff like that still. But yep, Mountain Dew. Uh, regular Mountain Dew is my favorite. Baja Blast from Taco Bell. Mm. Like, and, and they sell it independent. They sell it everywhere now. Like my favorite drinks, and they taste like complete garbage to me. And it's genuinely depressing. And you may ask, "Wow, you don't drink sodas anymore? You must have lost a ton of weight in the last three years." Well. You see me if you're watching the video you can probably hear my jowls through the through the podcast if you can't see me unfortunately i've made up for it in other places so but yeah i love mountain dew can't drink it it's a huge bummer and that bummer is where we're going to wrap this show up uh, thank you so much for listening i really do appreciate it i'm really happy with where the show is where it's going how things are going with it um how it's kind of working with the streams and my videos and all that um I, I'm, I'm really appreciating it um i appreciate you listening like i said uh please interact somehow even if it's just to say hi in the youtube comments or if you have a comment or suggestion let me know if you have questions or topics or comments for the next episode i, I want to hear you like i said this is a it's a one-way conversation so your part is to talk to me after and i would love to hear from you 
you can find me all over the internet as Bon Diesel, including on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and on Twitch. And uh, that's all I have for this one. So until next time.